Today's scripture reading is from 1 Peter 2, 1 through 12, and I'll be reading from the NIV version of the Bible. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Good morning. I'm Bob Prasader, an elder here at Kishwaukee Church. It's an extreme pleasure to share God's word with you this morning. As most of you know, we're experiencing heavy hearts at Kish. Over the past two Sundays, Gary and Brian have done such an awesome job of preaching on 1 Peter, proclaiming the hope we have in Christ, even in the toughest of times. My goal is to share another message from 1 Peter that sheds light on the peace, comfort, and strength provided through God's love and plan for us in the amazing way that it happens. Please pray with me. Father, we come before you humbly. We are awestruck that not only do you know every one of us assembled here today, but that you love each of us to a depth we cannot fathom. In fact, you called us here today to worship you, know you better, and grow nearer to you. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, open our hearts, minds, and souls as your word is preached. We ask this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to make two points before we dig into Scripture. First, you're here today. You're either online or sitting in the Kishwaukee Church Sanctuary. The question is why? Compared to the number of those in the Stillman Valley, Byron, Davis Junction, Monroe Center area, not attending here or at any other church, this number is very small. The percentage may be in the area of 10% or likely near there somewhere. 
And many of you knew last night that you were going to attend. Some of you may have decided this morning. But you're here. You woke up, got dressed, got in your vehicle, drove here, got out of your vehicle, put on a mask, stopped by for a temperature check, found a pew, sat in a pew, or if you're remote, you went through a different process. But again, you're here. Many are not. And it's no small consequence that you are. That's the first point. The second point is that God created the world. But beyond that, he has injected himself into this world. He is outside of time and space. He is not restricted by the physical universe because he created it. He is not bound or limited by science, human logic, or understanding. He is more holy, powerful, majestic, intelligent, and full of glory than any of us can understand. And he injects himself into this world on his terms. He does it frequently in ways that are beyond our ability to comprehend. He does not act with our, our, the ability of our brains to understand. So we should not be surprised when we find in Scripture accounts that are so remarkable that they're hard for us to believe. In fact, we should marvel, be awestruck, overwhelmed, and humbled by them. So what I hope to do is connect those two points and maybe some other dots along the way. You being here and our God whose power and majesty are beyond description and him injecting himself into this world in a very personal way. And in doing this, I, I do hope to make it personal and I hope it's okay if it's personal. Let's go to the scripture reading and I'm going to read from the English Standard Version, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Here we go. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. 
But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's the end of verse 12. One more point. Those words you just heard are from a professional fisherman. Not an academic scholar, not a college professor, or a big-time theologian. Peter, a fisherman. And isn't it reasonable to believe that his background is not too different from ours? He was there. He was an eyewitness. Fishing with Andrew one day, probably much like most other days, a young carpenter shows up. And his life was never the same afterward. I want you to think about that. A simple fisherman. These are his words. We could do a full sermon practically on any one of these 12 verses. In fact, the great preachers, Charles Spurgeon and Martin Lloyd-Jones, would preach for weeks on a single scripture verse. And obviously, for the sake of time, I'm not going to dig in that much, but I would like to highlight a few of these verses today. First, I want to draw our attention to verse 3. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. As you come. Let's look at this a bit more closely. As implies Current, continuous, and constant as. Not when you come or if you come, but as you come. Let's look at come. Come implies movement, assuming that there is a point A going to a point B. So where, where is point A? Where is point B? You. The word you. Is there any chance that the you might be speaking to the you, to the you sitting here, to the you listening here today? Could that you be you? In Scripture, there's often the immediate audience, but also the future audience. 
It happens a lot with the prophets. Now you might see how this is getting personal. Him. I think we know him, Christ. Living stone. When's the last time you saw a rock breathe? Does a living stone ever experience death? When stones are referenced in the Old Testament, it's not uncommon for the reference to be to the construction of the temple. Interesting. Rejection. What rejection? Reject what? Reject why? By men. What men? Which men? Chosen. Chosen by whom? By God? Well, wait a minute. That would mean that God has injected himself into this world. Precious. We see the word precious. We often say about things, well, isn't that a a precious little baby or isn't that puppy precious? But how about precious? Like precious, valuable beyond belief, vital, that if this isn't present, the final outcome is not possible. It's precious. But here, so precious, precious ends up on a cross. Why? Well, Bobby, you're asking a lot of questions and you don't appear to have many answers and, and you're right. I may have probably backed myself into a corner. And I also know what you're saying. Eric always has answers. And you have nothing but questions. Well, let's, let's just move ahead. And what I'd like to do is move ahead to verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now let's look at this a bit more closely, if that's okay. The primary emphasis and descriptions in verse 3 are on him. Christ, living stone, rejected by man, chosen, precious. The emphasis and description on verse 9 is on you. Chosen race, royal priesthood, people of his, his own possession, called. So I think it's worth our while that we take a closer look at this chosen called. Because it's referenced in both. And it's referenced in two different ways. Let's put these words in context. Does God choose and call? And if so, who and why? Begin to ponder this. Who was the chosen in verse 3? Who's the chosen in verse 9? The connection. Let's see if we can continue to connect the dots. In order to do that, I want to take us back to the Old Testament and begin connecting the dots that speak to being chosen and called. God injecting himself. Now, I know what you might be saying. Look, wait a minute. He's going back to the Old Testament. 
This is supposed to be a New Testament sermon series. How can that be personal? The Old Testament isn't personal. Well, let me suggest to you, friends, the Old Testament is a New Testament message. And it is personal. So let's move forward. Genesis. Adam, the fall. I don't think we fully appreciate the degree of this breach by Adam, who is our representative. This was a breach of disobedience on a magnitude I think we underestimate and fail to understand. It is sin, the great separator. And by all rights, the human experience probably should have been ended right there. The human race finished. You and I not here today. The intended relationship with God was extinguished. But God permitted Adam to leave the garden. And there was no possibility for him to return due to the angel guarding the entrance with swords of fire. Justice was not fully executed. Why was he permitted to leave? And once out, we begin to see some interesting developments. One, the outed human race continues to degenerate. Cain and Abel, murder. Over time, more extreme depravity. And to the point where a holy, righteous God makes a move to destroy humanity through the great flood. Justice, right? But we're going to see the beginning of certain people being called, chosen. In the Old Testament, the callings are sporadic and rare, but always perfectly timed. Let's go to Genesis 6, beginning with the 11th verse. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth... And behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. And cover it inside, not with pitch. And then in, in verse 18, God says, But I will establish my covenant with you. 22nd verse, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Noah called. Noah chosen. Why? For what ultimate purpose? And I might share a, a hint. Shem. Besides the animals, Shem was one of the eight humans in the ark. Noah's son. Follow that. Next, Genesis 12th chapter, beginning with the first verse. The call of Abraham. Now, who's Abraham? Well, he's a descendant of Shem. No. 
That's interesting. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and call him who dishonors you. I will curse. And in you all the families of earth shall be blessed. Abraham called. Abraham chosen. Why? For what ultimate purpose? Well, we know that from Abraham, we have his son Isaac and his son Jacob. And from Jacob, the 12, the 12 tribes that become the 12 tribes. And one of those tribes, by the way, is the tribe of Judah. And we don't have time to review this fully, but the detailed way that God works through Abram's, Abraham's children, particularly Jacob and the tribes. And we know that eventually, that due to famine, the 12 tribes of Jacob end up in Egypt. Abraham's call. Let's go to the third chapter of Exodus and Moses. As most of you are familiar with the story of Moses, a Levite, one of the 12 tribes, but grew up in the lap of luxury in the Pharaoh's palace. But due to a, a confrontation one day where he, he kills an Egyptian and later estranged by his Hebrew brothers, he goes into exile for a long time. But here's what we find in the first, beginning with the first verse of chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush. Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And again, most of us are familiar with the history of Moses when he returns to Egypt to free the Hebrews from Egyptian slavery, a 40-year trek in the desert. Moses called, Moses chosen. Why? For what ultimate purpose? And again, we could, we could go on for days. But this trek and escape out of Egypt and bondage includes these 12 tribes. And remember, the tribe of Judah is in this. We see the introduction of the law, the sacrificial system, and the destination of the promised land in Jerusalem. 
Certain events needed to take place. Moses was called. Next, Samuel. As most of you know, the time following the conquest of Canaan, led by Joshua, things didn't go particularly well. It was a dark time. It was a time of we read about it in the book of Judges. But Samuel would eventually ascend to a leadership position and would be responsible for anointing the first king of Israel and eventually its greatest king, David. But here's how it all started in, in 1 Samuel chapter 3. And remember, this account takes place when Samuel is a youngster under the care of the priest Eli, and it's during nighttime, bedtime. And the Lord came and stood calling, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. He said his name twice again. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Samuel called. Samuel chosen why? 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 For what ultimate purpose? Well, the anointing of a king. A king out of which tribe? Judah. King David. Kingdom maker, psalm writer, a man after God's own heart who foreshadows so much about a later perfect king and a much different kind of kingdom. We don't have time, but we all know the prophets were called. They spoke on behalf of God, communicating a couple of themes. One, Israel's disobedience and the serious consequences for that disobedience, but also God's redemptive plan and hope. Listen to this from Isaiah 43rd chapter, and I want you to pay particular attention to the references of you, your, and called. And keep in mind immediate audience, future audience. Let's go. Beginning verse 1. But now says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored. And I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east. And from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is 
called by my name, whom I created for my glory. And remember that after these comforting words, Israel experiences the Babylonian takeover and exile. Immediate audience, future audience. And after Malachi, the last prophet of the Old Testament, there was 400 years of silence. Not a word from God. And then, a star twinkled over Bethlehem. Jesus Christ. The second person of the Trinity in human form from the tribe of Judah. This is God injecting himself in the most remarkable personal way and even during the context of the Roman Empire. Called, chosen, why? For what ultimate purpose? Well, this is the ultimate game changer. And now with Jesus' ministry, more calling from Mark, first chapter. Listen to this. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon. It's Peter. And Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were first fishermen. Told you. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish, become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going out a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. Fishermen. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. More calling later in Mark. And, and he went up on the mountain and called to him whose name they desired, and they came to him. And he appointed the twelve, and he also called them apostles, so they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son, Simon, the name of Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And then an addendum to the twelve. Paul. And I read from Acts, and this is again after the crucifixion. Verse 3, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. Disciples called, chosen. Why? For what ultimate purpose? Well, you know, the early church, 
the power of the Holy Spirit, as we read in Acts, is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. God injected himself powerfully, personally, and pervasively. In fact, it's through the working of the Holy Spirit that the call is executed for the building up of the church and individual salvation. Okay, we got ourselves back to Peter. God injecting himself powerfully and personally. But now let's go to where it matters. The cross. Christ crucified. Rectifying the enormous cost of Adam's and our breach. God's demonstration of justice and his steadfast love for us. Christ's birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension to heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. Reconciliation, friends. The dispensation of the Holy Spirit, as we learn from the book of Acts, the disciples begin the work of the early church. And the charge we see in Matthew to make disciples of all nations, to make the call to all nations, the call to you. Chosen, called, come. Let's continue to see if we can connect, connect the dots. So you sit here today and remember it's no small matter that you are. Is it because you've been called? And this being called seems pretty Amazing. So there, there may be a few questions. How does it happen? How do I know? Well, theologically speaking, there, there are two kinds of call. One is the general call, which basically has gone out to most everyone. The gospel has been proclaimed to almost every corner of the world and has been. The second is the effectual call. It's the mysterious work of the Holy Spirit that communicates in different ways to different people. It can be dramatic or in that still small voice described in 1 Kings chapter 19 to Elijah. Some of you know that and can speak to it. How do I know if I've been called? What are the, re- what are the requirements? Well, they're unbelievably rigid. You have to be a repentant sinner and believe in Jesus Christ. And beyond that, there should be a response, a change, some kind of manifestation, including but not limited to what Peter said in verses 11 and 12. I urge you, sojourners and exiles, abstain from passions of the flesh which wage against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And so maybe another question is, well, if if I am called, what should I expect? Well, what happened to those that we just reviewed that were called? What happened to them? And what was promised to them? Well, trials, tribulation, disappointments, despair, persecution, death. Beyond that, though, point A to point B, called out of darkness into a marvelous light. A future hope, death defeated, an eternal home in an eternal kingdom, fellowship with the saints in Christ Jesus. Let's go to Revelation. 21st chapter, first four verses. 
Listen to this. And this is John speaking. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That's what you can expect. There have been and will continue to be hard seasons in our lives. This life even as we come to him. But as we come to him, we find and experience strength, comfort, and peace. Because he has called you with the same intention, love, and purpose that he called Noah, Abraham, Moses, Samuel, David, the prophets, disciples, and saints. Now, maybe not called as dramatically or with the same exact purpose, but your assurance is the same as theirs. And you should respond to that call. Again, maybe not the same dramatic way, but you should be changed. Your life should be on a different trajectory as you come to him. Final note, and thank you. So here you are today. Likely because you've been called chosen. No small matter. When did this happen? I'm not a, a theologian. But because God operates out of time and space... I believe the case can be made that it was determined for you at the exact same moment as all these other biblical calls were made. You see, God would not send his son to this world and to the cross if there was any chance that none of us would be reconciled to him. And after the fall, not a single human would be inclined to be reconciled. God was not going to swing and miss on sending his son to the cross for our redemption at such a great price. So it might be said our being called predates history, which is hard for the human mind to, to understand. But I think it should give us even greater assurance. When's the call manifested? It depends. At different times, in different ways. God is patient and his love is steadfast. We see this in scripture. We also come to him at different times in our lives. 
some quickly and aggressively, some deliberately and slowly, and everything in between, some early in life, some later. And it is not for us to judge anyone on the topic of timing. It is of the Lord. But now, today, you come to him. Now and forever, you come to him, knowing with full assurance that we are his and he is ours forever. It is in this truth where we find hope, comfort, strength, and peace, even in the darkest of times in this temporary world. You are chosen. You are precious. You are part of the living stone. And it's all very personal. Friends, I hope we are able to connect the dots, to connect from Genesis to you being here today and what that means. Let's pray. Father, we're humbled by your majesty, power, holiness, and righteousness. We are grateful that you injected yourself into this world through your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, in such a personal way. Our lives are forever changed. May we continue to be made more and more into his likeness and come near to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.